have a Bible, let me encourage you to open it to Second uh, Samuel chapter 11. Several weeks ago, somebody said to me, they said, you're going to avoid that David and Bathsheba thing forever, aren't you? And uh, I did get away from it a little bit because of Christmas and those different things. And, uh, but it's just unavoidable uh, that we, we're coming back to that place. Jezebel. You just heard, you hear the name Jezebel and a thought comes to your mind. Delilah. You just, you just hear the name Delilah. Bathsheba. You just, you just hear the name. I uh, read through the Bible uh, constantly. I try to read through it once a year. And, uh, and what I used to do is when I got done, I would just not read until the start of the next year and then get started again. But I, just, I decided that, you know, I probably ought to keep reading through the Bible even in December. And so I decided what I do, just start over. And so every year I start over a little bit earlier and earlier and earlier in the year. And it just so happens this week as I'm getting ready to study for uh, David and Bathsheba, I got to read the story of Samson and Delilah the same week in my Bible reading. I thought, oh, bummer, God. Uh, you know, I mean, both of these in the same week is like too much. I, you, you might not read your Bible quite as animated as I do, but when I was reading Samson and Delilah this week, I was in my office, and I literally shouted out loud, No, Samson, don't do it! <laughs> it didn't keep him from it. But I, I just had to yell that. I just, it, it's just so discouraging to see someone just throw away their life and to think all they got to do is just walk away. I've, uh, on more than one occasion, went to see a friend. who is on the edge of throwing their life away to try to talk them out of it. Think of one particular friend. I uh, drove down to Kansas from Iowa. I was pastoring there. I found him in his office and went down and sat with him. And I said, hey, I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. He looked at me and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you just don't understand. He did it anyhow. I sat next to him one day at a funeral where uh, all kinds of things were being said about this individual that had died that he had known in that previous relationship. And I said, it's got to hurt, doesn't it? And he looked at me with a blank look on his face and he said, What? And the thought that crossed my mind was this. Some damage is so deep to our souls, we don't even feel it any longer. And I I, I think to myself whenever I read about David and Bathsheba, whenever I read about Samson and Delilah, I think to myself, oh God, God, I don't want that to happen to me. I, I don't want that to happen to me. And I don't know if you have that kind of a thought when you read these passages uh, like this, but uh, when I read uh, uh, 2 Samuel 11, I just, I just, I ache as I look at it. I say, how can this happen? 
the thing we do. The thing we do. How? How? Well, in this particular case, in the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servant with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites, besieged Rabab, and David remained at Jerusalem. That's how this story starts. We need to remember a couple of details. If you remember back in the earlier chapter that this uh, conflict developed when David sent uh, comforters to the uh, king of the Ammonites and said, I'm sorry about your dad's passing. He was a good man. But the men of Ammon told the king, they said, oh, David's not sending counselors. David is sending spies. And they, they cut their dresses, they shaved their beards, and they sent them back, shamed. And so David got his army together, and he sent them down to the Ammonites. But David didn't go with them. David didn't go with them. But the Ammonites hired mercenaries to help them in the battle. And these mercenaries came out and divided the forces of Israel. And then David came and fought against the mercenaries. But not the Ammonites. And now the spring of the year comes and it's time to go back and finish the job against the Ammonites. But David just doesn't want to. We're not told why. Maybe it's that he, he, maybe he saw the king of the Ammonites when he was a boy there with his father and he had a respect for him. Maybe he just couldn't get himself to go uh, down there against those people for that reason. Maybe he was tired of fighting and he just thought, there'll always be another battle, there'll always be another war, there'll always be another fight and I'm tired of fighting. You ever just get tired of living? Just flat tired of living. It's like Monday, 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 and then Saturday. And you never get Fridays. Just a perpetual onslaught of Mondays. And you're like, how much longer? There's a stack on your desk, and it's the same stuff you did last week. Do it again another time. You're like, are you kidding me? No one appreciates what you do. No one says thank you. Oh, now you might say, well, I don't work nine to five. Oh, yeah, you change diapers. There's a job that you get a lot of thanks for. You cook meals. Oh, yeah. Everybody says, oh, mom, it was delicious. I mean, this is what our kids did. They ate the food, and then as soon as we cleaned the table, they were over grazing in the refrigerator. The time of the year when the kings go out to battle, every year, David sent Joab. He stayed home. That's one thing. Nothing is more bliss and relaxing than retirement. You know, once you can quit your job and stay home, life gets easy. 
called up my dad to go see him on his birthday. He said, you can't come on my birthday. I've got too many doctor appointments. <laughs> and that just did. Wow. So we had to go a day early. My brother, my brother uh, had hurt himself and walked with a limp. And my brother's walking into the place. And he goes, you know, I think it makes dad happy that I can't move. <laughs> It happened. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. He's taking an afternoon siesta. Have you ever been tired, so tired, so tired that even when you slept you were tired? Have you ever been that tired? I'll take a Sunday afternoon nap every once in a while, and I'll wake up from my Sunday afternoon nap, and I'll just say, what day is it? You know, and, and sometimes you get those naps that are late enough in the day that you just might as well just slept clear through because in your brain, your brain's telling you, it's Monday. I got a friend, uh, uh, he used to take Mondays off. He's a pastor. He used to take Mondays off. And uh, he said, I stopped taking Mondays off. They're going to pay me to feel like this. so tired and walking on the roof of the king's house he saw from the roof a woman bathing it just kind of crossed my mind I don't know probably all of you have thought of this a hundred times before her name was Bath Sheba and she was bathing I wrote in my bible anybody that believes cleanliness is next to godliness has never read this story And the woman was very beautiful. I want you to notice something. The Bible says nothing here that is wrong. You just go without a bath for a couple of weeks and people will be begging you to take a bath. They'll be begging you to take it in public or anywhere. Just get a bath wrong with a bath. There's nothing wrong with beauty. There's nothing wrong with beauty. Some people promote modesty this way. We need to make every girl ugly so that guys don't have a problem. Well, hey, look, guys, you got a problem whether every, every girl's ugly or not, you know? You, you know, this, this thing of modesty, say, saying to, to women that you shouldn't do anything to make yourself look attractive, that's stupid. God made them attractive. There's nothing wrong with being attractive. There's nothing wrong with, with, with accenting what God has given you to make it look as appealing as you can. That's good. That's good. In fact, this word for beauty here is used in a number of different places in the Bible, and the vast majority of the places it's used, it's used in a, in, in a sanctified, good way. By the way, it's nothing wrong with seeing that someone is beautiful. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay to notice that other people are beautiful. It's okay. In fact, if any of you want to tell me on the way out today, man, Hardy, you're beautiful. (laughs) You just go at it and I'll call you a liar too. (laughs) No. 
There's nothing wrong here. Way too much time is spent trying to make out Bathsheba to be a bad person. She wasn't. But she was human. She was human. David, how could you do it? David, how could you do it? David sent and inquired. You ever ask dumb questions? I mean, some questions are dumb. Don't ask them. Don't ask that lady if she's busy tonight. Don't ask somebody to go do something that they shouldn't do. Don't ask them where they're at. Don't ask stupid questions. They're only going to get you in trouble. David sent and inquired. Don't ask dumb questions. Don't ask dumb questions. Now listen to his men. His men say, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? You you see what they say here? They say relationship, 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 relationship. Now, who is this Eliam? Eliam is the son of a guy by the name of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel is one of David's premier, premier advisors. It's your premier advisor's granddaughter. See, um, real people have real relationships and they really get hurt. See, that's what we tend to do. We tend to get mad at people and forget. We can get mad at family and forget that they're family. That stupid brother of mine, he was born stupid. He's genetically stupid. Well, his genes are your genes, so you must be stupid. Well, he's just sort of stupid. Now, now, now the, the, the help tell David about relationship. And then they also say, and by the way, she's the wife of Uriah. And Uriah is one of David's best 30 guys. Uriah is one of those guys that's been in a foxhole in the middle of the night. To to be there for David with his life on the line. There's relationship, David. By the way, sin always hurts relationships. Just mark that down, write it in front of your Bible, write it on your forehead if you want to. Sin always hurts relationships. It always does. It always does. David sent and acquired. David sent and she came. The picture here is David's going this way and David keeps going this way. He's going this way. He just keeps going. That's what sin does. Ah, Get out of my way. Get out of my way. I'm going to do this. She came. I don't want to absolve Bathsheba of all guilt. She came. 
the story turns. She sent and told David. David sent. David sent. She sent. Now, Bathsheba, the person you need to be telling is your husband. But she sent to David. The person you need to tell this to is the person you have wronged. The Levitical law says if a woman committed this kind of sin, she should be put to death. If she appeals to her husband, she opens up the option of death. David hears this information. By the way, it's important to realize this is not information that David got the morning after. This is information David would have gotten two months down the road, possibly three months down the road. He's had plenty of time to think about how stupid that was. Can you admit stupid? We're not not even talking about confessing sin. Can you just admit stupid? I, you know, I, I, I have a hard time confessing sin. I'm sure you have a hard time confessing sin. But can we just admit stupid? Dumb. Bad choice. I like the line from the movie Emma. Not well played. Not well played. every now and then someone needs to say that to me. Brian, that wasn't a good play. David, uh, it tells us this in 2 Samuel 11, 9. Uriah, he sent for Uriah and he told Uriah to come. And Uriah came and he sent a gift with Uriah down to his house. Go home, sleep with your wife, be with her, come on. We can cover this up. Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. Frustration in David. So he, 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 he lines it up and he, and, he, and he gets him drunk under the influence. By the way, how many bad choices can you make while under the influence? Let's not go there. But anyhow, so he gets him drunk and he tries to sit him on, but he sleeps at the door again. David scrawls out a note. Stick this guy in the front of the battle and get him killed. And he puts that note in the very hand of Uriah to take it. I bet he didn't look him in the eye. But he shuffled his feet. I'll bet it was a lot the same look that Judas gave to Jesus when he kissed him. And Uriah takes it. And Uriah goes 
and, and Joab hasn't been home, but Joab reads the note and he looks at Uriah and somehow Joab kind of puts it together. And I don't know how much Joab knows about what it all is, but Joab kind of puts it together. And so they get the war and they stick Uriah up there and Uriah gets killed. And then Joab gets his messenger and he says, take this back to the king and tell the king that they got this happened and these people got slaughtered. And then he says, why did you do that? Say, oh, by the way, Uriah's dead. Now just for a minute, we have to remember that Joab has been caught two or three times by David doing evil things. chance to get back at the boss. The boss has always accused me of being a backhanded guy. So I'll stick Joab. Why doesn't Joab send a note back to David and say, David, do you really want to do this? Wouldn't you want your best friend? Wouldn't you want your trusted ally to, to say, hey, buddy, are you sure this is what you want? Nah, nah, not Joab. Stick him up there. Let him die. I'll, I'll have a good joke on David. But the messenger, when he gets to David, doesn't quite remember it exactly the way Joab told him to say it. The text does, but the messenger doesn't. The messenger says, The man, the men gained an advantage of us against the field, and we drove them back to the entrance of the gate, and the archer shot from the wall, and Uriah the Hittite is dead. Also, now, there's a word that appears here, and we need to see it. Uriah died at the gate. He slept at the gate, exact same word. He slept at David's gate two nights, and when he dies, he dies at the gate. The text wants us to know Uriah died the same place he slept. It's not the same place. It's a different city, different time. But it's the, it's the gate. Why would the text want to know that? I'm, I'm not sure if the text, if this is the only reason the text wants to know. And I'm not sure if the author of the text, the human author of the text wants us to know this. But there's another guy that died one day. There's another person that died one day. His name was Abel and his brother killed him. And God came to talk to Cain for the, the atrocity against his brother. And he says, sin Sin is crouching at the door. It's contrary. Don't let it take you down. Can I ask you a question? What's at your door today? Oh, no, I'd never do that kind of stuff. No, I'm not asking if you do this kind of stuff. I'm asking what's at the door in your life right now? Because I don't know if you'll do this kind of stuff or not, but there is some kind of stuff you will do. And Satan knows exactly what that is. He's packed it up, and he's got it sitting at your door. He's waiting for you to come out and to get it. Because he wants to take you down. What's at your door? It's crouching at the door. It, it's, it's there. 
There's someone else at the door. I stand at the door and knock. When you open the door, do you look up or do you look down? When you open the door, do you look up for God's provision? You look up to the Lord for help? You look up to the Lord to get me through this day? Or do you look down? What can I grab? What can I take? What can I get? What should be mine? text tells us that uh, Bathsheba mourned for her husband. Oh, yeah, really? No, I think she did. I think she loved Uriah. I think she loved and lusted after the intrigue with David. But I think she was sorrowful about her husband's passing. But you've got to move on, Bathsheba thinks. You've got to move on. And so after mourning her husband the proper amount of time, David swept in and married her, cleaned it all up, and when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, I've taken a few courses on how to preach sermons. And one of the things they tell you when you preach sermons is that you can have uh, different words that you use. Like today's message is on Three skills that will help you get through life. Or today's message is about three ideas that will uh, propel you toward greatness. Today's message are the three keys to an effective marriage. But one of the things they tell you, back up, is that this strange choice... You can go ahead, Brad. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We'll go ahead there. But one of the things they tell you about the word thing is that you're not supposed to use it. It's a bad word. It's a strange choice of words. Uh, First of all, I want you to notice this. The word thing here is singular. It's not the things you did. You got Uriah, you did this, you sent the note, you did that, you called up your Bathsheba, you brought her to the house, you slept with her. It's not all the stuff. It's the thing. It's singular. But the second thing we notice about this word thing is it's very much non-descriptive. I mean, come on, name it, God, adultery. Come on, God, name it, murder. But God doesn't name it. He just calls it the thing. This is because God is not imaginative enough to come up with the right word. <laughs> Don't believe that for a minute. God is perfect in what he says. He has the exact word he means to have. And the word that God wants you to identify with is the word thing. Thing leaves it to your imagination. Exactly what 
went wrong. The thing, a singular, complete failure. That's what it is. Now, uh, as we think about that, I, I, some, some notions come up to my mind. How many of you have ever been in a car wreck? How many of you have ever been in a car wreck? Have you ever been amazed? Has it ever been amazing to you how fast a car wreck can happen? You just kind of drive along, do 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 and all of a sudden, and then as soon as you lose control, it's like, oh my, I'm going to run into something. And it's like everything slows down, and you're like, oh no. I remember when I, I had a wreck and the airplags deployed, and I thought, that's not fast enough. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the anatomy of a wreck. It's not one thing, but many. See, you're, you're texting, and your coffee falls over, and you just think, I can fix those two things. And you do. But what happens is, you're texting, your coffee falls over, and a car pulls in front of you. And you can't. <laughs> accidents are not accidents, singular. They're, they're a whole bunch of stuff that all goes wrong at once. And it's like, no, 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 no. And you feel like you're juggling chainsaws, and they're running. How did this happen to me? That's exactly what David's thinking right now. Well, I wouldn't have had to kill Uriah if he'd have just gone home and slept with his wife. She's a hot babe. It's his fault. No, it's not. What's she doing out on the roof taking a bath anyhow? The second thing about this word, thing, (laughs) it's the nature of a choice. Many decisions, but one goal. I want what I want. I want what I want. I want what I want. And get the blankety blank out of my way. I want what I want. I've had this same experience on a golf course. I didn't go where I wanted to go. And I think if I just lose my temper, I can will the golf ball back onto the putting service. There's a number of guys in here that could witness to you that I try really hard to will the golf ball back onto the right spot. It never does. It rolls, rolls, rolls right on into the pond. Many choices, but one goal. I want my way. I want my way. It's not an illicit affair. 
It's not more money than anybody else. It's I just want my way. You know what the problem with getting your way is? It's the prospect of a life. When it's all about you, it goes to a lonely, lonely, lonely place. See, that's what happens. That's what sin does. Sin puts you alone in the desert by yourself. No friends. No water. No food. Just alone. In the scorching heat how did I get here you ever found yourself saying that maybe in your bed at night how did I get here how did I get here I get here. It's that thing we do. It's that thing we do about making it all about me. But it wasn't that big of a deal to start with. There were seven M&Ms and I took four and I left three for the other guy. But it was all about you. You got more because it was about you. That thing, it's not jumping in bed with another woman, it's not drinking more beer than you can stand, it's not smoking until you get lung cancer. It's saying, I count more than God. It displeases him. It displeases him. Because it puts you on a path to where you will be all alone. All alone. All alone. I have to ask this question. Look around. Are you becoming more and more alone? Stop going that way. Stop going that way. This isn't going to end well. This isn't going to end well for you. Stop. Can I beg you? Can I beg you? Can I, can I beg you, please, 
please stop going that way. I may know what it is. I may not know what it is. It doesn't matter if I know. Stop. Stop it. Don't go. I don't know. I'm too far in. I can't stop. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will sup with him. You don't know where I am. God does. And he'll meet you. Call out to him. There might be some people here today that need to make this very, very real. They need to come up here. I'm not going to go up in front of all them people. What do you think I am? Desperate. Anyhow, you should be. Anyhow, you should be. Because you can't do this on your own. You're going to go down in flames. It is going to be flames. And if you're desperate enough to call out to God, He'll hear you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize that sin is a crushing, crushing, crushing force. If we don't turn to you, if we don't turn to you, it will flatten us. It will flatten us. And I don't care if it looks like bubble gum right now. It'll get there. And it'll take over. And it'll destroy us. God, I pray that we would turn to you in a moment of opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray.